you took me through the markets in Lagos. Do you remember back in 2012, God. you gave me a tour? I really love the fact that you got off the plane after a seven-hour flight, and I called you for, at your hotel and said, do you want to meet tomorrow? And you said, actually, can we meet in an hour and a half? I just need to change. And I took you to Tinubu Market, which was and is still the definition of a bustling market with everything and anything. But you were really game for that. Welcome, everybody. I am Susie Menkes, editor of Vogue International at Condé Nast, and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. As a journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders, and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. Dora Oluwu works at the crossroads of fashion, art, and culture. Those words sum up the remarkable designer. Nigerian-born, creator of a women's fashion line in the UK, married to Thelma Golden, an American curator heading up a museum in Harlem. His own deeply artistic connections are currently on show, digitally, in the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago. That is quite a story, and I haven't even mentioned Dora's Nigerian father and Jamaican mother and his famous fashion clients that he's too discreet to recite, even if the list is headed by Michelle Obama. Wonder Man? Yes, certainly. But perhaps his greatest skill is in the delicate artistic mix of those joyous patterns that Doro first showed me when he took me exploring in the vast market in Lagos five years ago. In his elegant embrace, the African influences come alongside hyper-sophisticated silks created for Parisian haute couture. Together they express the originality and the elegance of exceptional fashion work. Doro's instinctive love of fabrics which he claims started in his swaddling baby wraps, has developed beyond clothes to homewear, meaning not just the extraordinary objects and fabrics that dress his discreet London store, but actual fabrics used beyond clothing. His Estee Lauder one-off makeup collaboration led to women collecting the colourful packaging along with the beauty products, which were also unique, meaning that the colours were elaborated to subtly suit women of all different skin colours. But perhaps the wonder of Duro Aluwu is that he has developed himself as an art curator as well as a creative fashion artist. The two fit hand to glove. The female visitors to the exhibition opening were dressed almost entirely in a rainbow coalition of his designs. Good morning, Susie. Oh my goodness, you look so amazing. Where are you? <laughs> Do I? I'm in our bedroom in London. What is the beautiful black and white behind you? It's the... Um, you remember in my store, I told you the story about all the fabrics that I put on the walls in the store. That you yes, of course. When I was growing up. This is one of them. So it's on the bedroom wall. Right. Well, it, it looks amazing and you look amazing. And I'm so pleased that we're going to do this together because you're... Thank you. You look amazing. Yeah, I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> um, Doro, I, I want to talk to you now about you because it's no doubt that you're quite definitely Wonder Man. 
you moved between <laughs> London and New York, where your yeah. museum creator wife lives. Your childhood yeah. was in Lagos with your Nigerian yeah. father and Jamaican mother. You were transatlantic and global before such words yes. even became commonplace. But tell me, who is the <laughs> real Doro Aluwu? Well, the real Doro Aluwu. Thank you, Susie. Good morning, by the Good way. Good morning. Nice to see you. Um, I think the real Durolo is the Durolo that you're looking at now. Obviously, the listeners can't see. I'm, I, I don't like the term a man of the world. I consider myself to be a man that's interested in the world and has been lucky enough through, you know, just coincidence and, and birth, you know, growing up in Nigeria, then coming to school in England and living in London and elsewhere now, being having a wife that lives in New York. So I, I go to back and forth to New York. I consider myself lucky and grateful to have this lifestyle that allows me to be cosmopolitan. I was always aware whenever we got on a plane, even as a child, that we would be, I would be encountering something interesting, you know, wherever we went or even in a car, you know. So this sort of curiosity, I think, has sort of led me to interesting places and definitely inspired a lot of what I do. Well, yes, I mean, I can see that because your work is so distinctive, Doro. It's Thank a, you. It's an amazing mix. It's um, fine French fabrics and the joyous meld of African colours and patterns that um, I saw when you took me through the markets in Lagos. Do you remember back in 2012, <laughs> you gave me a tour? <laughs> yes, I, I do indeed. That was Tinubu Market when you just arrived. And I really loved the fact that you got off the plane after a seven-hour flight and I called you at your hotel and said, "Can we meet? Do you want to meet tomorrow?" And you said, "Actually, can we meet in an hour and a half? I just need to change." And I took you to like, remember we went with uh, Reni Falawi, and we we took you to Tinubu Market, which is like, which was and is still the definition of a bustling market with everything and anything. But you were really game for that. Well, and that and was fun. All those colours, they're all memories to me. And you have yeah. such, you yourself have such an instinctive talent for bringing colour and textures and silhouettes together. It Thank must you. come from your background. But how do you combine the unique and the sophisticated? You know, I... Thank you for that. That's, that I really appreciate, appreciate you saying that. I really feel, Susie, that you don't really know where you're going in anything you pursue in life, whether it's your work, creative work, or just your professional life, your your private life. You, you really don't know where you're going until you sort of know where you're coming from. And I've always been very conscious of that. And despite where you come from, you have encounters with different things, different cultures, different kinds of film, different kinds of music. But for me, the greatest encounters were always with clothes, you know? And I suppose my instinctive love for fabric, I always put down to the fact that it was probably the first thing, apart from, you know, my mother that I touched when I was born. You know, I was wrapped in, in a fabric. And I really felt that the, the, the protective and loving and sort of um, joyous nature of that stuck with me. In the end, fabric is everything. I always feel, though, when I see your collections, it, it's like a conversation in a contemporary yes. and an international world. But how do yes. you do that? I mean, it's, that sounds good, doesn't it? But mentally and yes. physically, how do you do it? And, and how do you start when you're making something? Do you start with the idea of the cut or with the fabrics or your memories? What's the yeah. beginning? 
Well, uh, the beginning is, I mean, the truth is I'm always thinking of things. And, you know, my wife, when we first met, one of the things that I was really sort of, I loved that she always said to me was, she said, Dura, you think it's normal <laughs> to think so much about things and always be creating things? Because I do it even when there's no collection. And then by the time collection comes, I sort of fine tune it into a sort of really honed in specific theme that has many genres. But, you know, I'm always doing that. You know, I, I feel that I always start by thinking about what it is I've thought of or worked on in the last few months that has really grabbed me and keeps me constantly challenged because that is what I feel will grab the people that buy the clothes or the people that just admire the clothes. And it's very important to never underestimate how people react to things that I feel have integrity, i.e. they're coming from a good place, but also the, the beauty of them is not patronizing or gratuitous. So I start with, with ideas. You know, I think of Mira Makeba, Francois Gillot, Amrita Shergill, or Nina Simone for the stylish activists. I think about art and artists, Matisse, David Hammonds, Lorna Simpson, you know, uh, Goya. And, you know, I start to imagine why and how those things have lasted or stood the test of time and how they would present themselves today. Some of them still do, quite, uh, and, and if, if they, they're not around how I would imagine that they would present themselves today and be relevant to the woman who is wearing the clothes that I'm designing for that. So I start with the, the fabrics, really, because, you know, I'm, I surround myself with them and I'm always uh, designing fabrics. And then I move on the silhouettes I'm always working on. I have loads of twirls. Whenever I think of something or decide to work on something, I just do it regardless of whether I'm working in a collection, because it's healthy. You know, a raglan sleeve is never just a raglan sleeve. So you don't do it once, you keep working on it. And the cut of a trouser is never perfect until you feel that you have, you know, shown various ways in which it can be made because women have different bodies. Everybody has different bodies. And so I do that and I work on the twirls and, you know, then we start to cut the fabric. I sketch quite a bit. I sketch, you know, mostly while I'm working on things. And these sketches, they're usually, I do quite a few, but they're usually two or three that I feel defines everything so I don't get confused. And then, you know, I go to work. And the reality is, until the last button is sewn on, I'm always very open to editing or changing things, but not too much. You know, I always try and do everything. This is another thing my wife told me early. She said, never edit, just keep making. Because I would say, oh, I'm editing this and I'm editing that. And Thelma would say, no, 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 you need to make everything <laughs> before you think about that. We must talk a little bit for a moment about your wife, um, Thelma Golden, yeah. because, as you say, yeah. she um, is not only um, so involved in the world of arts, but um, yeah. she interviewed you in that um, uh, conversation that you had at the, um, I think it was three or four years yes, ago. Yes, making the, and unmaking the exhibition. Yeah. Yes, at the... Yeah. Um, Camden Arts Centre, yes. But I remember that she said then that um, when you two got together... The um, walls of her New York apartment were pure blank white. <laughs> Dare I ask what you've done to them now? What do you think, Susie? I... Well, <laughs> <laughs> they're covered. No, you know, well, they are, but you know the thing about it. It I never. I always aim. I like minimalism. You know, I just wanted to have a relevance. There has to be a reason. And I like minimalism that isn't minimalism for the sake of it. I like, you know, I like Japanese minimalism. I like Malian minimalism. It's incredible. I, I, I like John Paulson. You know, I love 
minimalism, but for a reason. However, going back to the, the walls of our, of our apartment in New York, yes, they've got things on them now. Thelma's reasoning was that she works so much with art and is constantly surrounded by it. She didn't want to always you know, be thinking about work at home. So I just changed the kind of art she was looking at. And um, yeah, and I like surface texture. You know, with art, you don't need a lot. You know, you just need one or two things that you want to wake up to in the morning and feel, you know, placed in the world. That's all you need. So it's very different now, but um, she loves it. I mean, she's very involved in the way it looks, so she loves it. Um, and what about all these famous clients of yours? Who are your favourite clients, apart from me, of course? I mean, you know, the women that are well-known that wear my clothes, I really admire because of what they've brought to their place in the world, whether it's professionally, creatively, or just as inspirational figures. But, you know, I admire and, re- and, and appreciate every woman that buys my clothes, and even those that don't. So I always say, people say, oh, who's your muse this season? I always say, no, no, no. Every woman and every human being has something to, be, to inspire me by, and I, I equate and rate them equally, and I'm very lucky for the loyalty because I think, like you said at the beginning, it's a conversation. And, you know, when you have someone who, when you started off with, they had young children and now they have, their children are in their late teens and want the clothes their mother is buying. It's a nice feeling, you know, it makes you, it makes you reflect. And, um, and I'm really proud to, to, to have these rela- ongoing relationships with these people. This is how I grew up looking at designers who worked with people not just because they were celebrities but there was a conversation that went on and on Maria Chinano, uh, Yves Saint Laurent even the Audrey Hepburn, um, uh, Givenchy you know um, Stephen Burrows and Bethan Hardison you know Willie Smith and Tuki Smith this is what a, a creative sort of collaboration with a client is about and I love that Your London store, tucked in that little muse, seems to me a mini version of your life and loves. You collect West African fabrics and you have a stash of vintage Abraham fabrics from Switzerland. There are colourful wallpapers and intriguing jewels. In a way, all these extras seem like arty entertainment or like a set where your designs perform. Am I being too fanciful? No, on the contrary, I think that was that's a really great way of putting it. You know, I'm inspired by so many things, but also I like to be around certain things and have a certain warmth and integrity around. I've always had a huge appreciation of, of vintage couture fabrics by the great makers like Abraham of Switzerland, Bianchini Ferrier, you know, Taroni, Gandini. And I've collected those and sometimes even introduced them juxtaposed in my in my collections um where i can i normally don't like to cut them up you know because one day i'll give them to a museum but i i upcycle them in that way i put them in certain special pieces and also use pieces from my uh, my my own prints from previous collections just to give life to this idea that you know beautiful things last forever aesthetically and you know the the my shop in Mason's Yard in in St James's in London is really something that allows people to linger a bit more. So it's not just about clothes; 
it's also about a visual uh it's visually stimulating there's a, there's a whole range of objects in it um jewelry by everyone from grima to boivin to things i found in vonve market you know things i love books you know art books books by great writers like baldwin and and you know i i really want people to sort of stay and it seems to work because a lot of the time you know especially with the husbands or boyfriends or or, or friends of 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 people that come to buy they're always willing to spend a lot of time um in the store because they're always looking at things and they're intrigued and and i can move things around and every time someone comes in it seems like a whole new space so i love that i do it very much for the clients and and the public but also for me aren't you doing at the same time doing what is now called upcycling it's something you've done for years it's taking yes. objects or taking these fabrics and turning them into something else and aren't you yes. rather a master of that well i i like to think that i'm very this this upcycling is is a natural thing for me that i can it's almost like wearing a beautiful skirt you bought 30 years ago with a top you bought yesterday i just do the same thing either with my prints from previous seasons so sometimes they show up in another collection and you know sometimes people don't even know uh and then juxtaposing that with real vintage couture prints from abraham taroni gandini whoever or just by unknown artists i always love to say when i find a roll of incredible fabric like beautiful lames and beautiful jacquards that are so beautifully made mid century or, or or uh in the mid century fabrics etc you know I call it fabric by unknown artists because the the integrity and the effort is so amazing and I bring those in as well and it's very beautiful to imagine that something made in Switzerland by Abraham or in Bamako or in Paris or in in New York or in you know in Tehran or you know somehow has found its way not just into my store but into a piece of clothing that is contemporary and aesthetically pleasing to the wearer Well, when it comes to your shows, if we can call them that, they're very small and discreet, even though yes. Naomi Campbell may be sitting on one of the elegant chairs. <laughs> But yes. from this single room, you transport us to Jamaica or Senegal, or you might have taken an idea from uh, Picasso's lover François Gilles, yes. or perhaps photographer Lee Miller. How do you determine your influences? for the new season. It's a very interesting thing, you know, I used to Susie, thank you for that. I I used to do runway shows like three, four hundred people and etc and they were wonderful and always very well received and it was a great opportunity to work with great star hairdressers. I always styled my shows but hairdressers, makeup, set designers, but I always thought it's over in 15 minutes. <laughs> you know, it's it's almost anticlimactic. So a few years ago I started doing these salon presentations where you and Edward and and other editors, Edward Enninful, you know, and other international editors always find time to come and stay and look at the outfits and it also gives me an opportunity to see all of you because we all work so hard, we don't see each other enough. and also to explain everything and to allow you to see the textile touch it ask me why the sleeve is 2 inches shorter than last season to allow you to see the clothes moving on the models in a way that is not just very instant and to just sort of feel the collection as it as before it goes out into the world and i really 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 appreciate that and this juxtaposition of ideas sometimes needs explaining 
Um, and it's the same way I can explain to you that I have used a certain fabric before, but that I have brought it back, etc. So I think it's the new way of showing, and I'm very happy again, being independent, that I was able to make a decision to show this way um, and have all these people come, because I'm telling you, it's incredible. I mean, you've seen who comes, and I think it's just wonderful, and it makes me feel very supported. I can give you little treats, home-baked cookies that are also <laughs> gluten-free at the end. And we can all go out in the world and feel joyous about fashion again, hopefully. This collaboration with Sewn Fabrics, the um, 23-year-old British furnishing brand. So, yes. in this initial Home Fabrics line, you've produced four designs, just four, in 11 different colours. Yes. Taking inspiration from, I looked at all this and couldn't believe it, the mud mosques of Mali, historic Persian designs. Everywhere. Nigeria. How many places? I couldn't believe it. I took, I was inspired by the, the mud mosque of Jenin in Mali, the, the, the 500 year old beautiful architectural marvels, the, the, the textiles of Senegal, the, the wrought ironware of Georgian houses in England, and also the topiary of Hitkert Gardens in Gloucestershire, which is an arts and crafts house that has the most incredible wild gardens and it was a great opportunity to almost translate what I do with clothes you know the mixing into these fabrics and and I really loved working with Sewn because um, Lulu who is the owner Lulu's um, idea is always to support and work with British manufacturers something that's not done very much everything is made in England all the fabrics the jacquards the prints were all done here even some of all their furniture is woven, the rattan furniture and iron furniture is, wo is made in England to support the industry. And I feel that it was a real sort of joy to do. I do love furnishing fabrics. I always have. I collect a lot of them. I've always admired great interior designers from, you know, Billy Baldwin to Catru. And I really relish the opportunity. And it's incredible because... I've been told that some of the design, interior designers that have been, you know, icons to me for a long time have actually gone in and bought and ordered some of the fabrics um, that since since they've been they were released a few months ago. It's joyful, it's joyous, but it's very chic and it allows you to change your room without, you know, having to completely paint the walls, etc. Um, and it allows you to want to spend time in the room. That's the hope. fascinated by your new idea of doing makeup, something I think you've never done before, in this uh, arrangement with Estee Lauder. And such brilliant clashes of colour and pattern. Were you trying to mix art and trends into one palette, into our makeup? The collaboration I did with Estee Lauder, the makeup line, they approached me and I, I was very sort of um, intrigued. But I decided to make it um, very, very much about this juxtaposition of artistic packaging with a beautiful color palette. So it's a one-off collaboration and it ended in, in December. And um, But it was hugely successful. And what I did was I really took prints that I had designed from previous collections 
to create this collage sort of poppy sort of a collage packaging that would pop out at you, but in a beautiful way, sort of um, inspired by, you know, artists like Hannah Hocker and people like that. And mix that with this idea of packaging not being thrown away after, you know, uh, when when one receives the makeup. Um, because I, I grew up, I'm of a generation where you kept the packaging of, of your aftershaves or perfumes, etc. So this was a really great product. And when I presented it with the, to them, they were really blown away by just the concept and the way I'd, I had done it. They asked if they could also use the colors in my sketches of the women or, or, or you know, that would be wearing the makeup, if they could transfer that into the colored palette for the makeup range. So the eyeshadows, the, the lipsticks and the eye pencils. And it was great, and it was very successful. The the campaigns were were beautifully done, and exactly how my my um, I presented it to them, and it was great because it also gave me the opportunity to show that you know it's not about creating separate makeup for people of color or for brown skin women, etc., or Asian women. You need to include colors in one range for everyone, and the the. The line was very successful in all over the world, in the, in the markets it was in, mainly in, in America, in Asia, and in England. And it was bought by women of all races and all creeds, you know, for different skin tones. And that's the, the idea, you know. That is how you cater for a more international skin tone, a more international client. And that is how you make women feel proud and, and comfortable about buying makeup and other things, regardless of where they're from. You have to think about them and you have to think about the fact that they have all skin tones and all races. And so I, th- I was really proud of that uh, collaboration and, and I loved it. Art is so much at the heart of your life with Thelma. She's the um, director yes. and chief curator of the Studio Museum in Harlem, New York. Correct. And Correct. you bring art together with fashion in a way that seems both easy and relevant. Does art seem yeah. to you like a second career or does it sit somewhere together with fashion in perfect harmony? In other words, what I'm really saying is how much uh, is your work um, on the same line as Thelma's work and how much is it very much a fashion story for you? Well, you know, it's very interesting because... You know, the way you've described the influence of art in my work is, I think, very to the point and and perfect. But, you know, art and fashion are two different things. I think fashion is very much influenced by art. I think clothes can be artistic, but they're not necessarily art. And Thelma has an amazing sort of museum that she has run with vigor and integrity and great innovation for for so many years, the Studio Museum in Harlem. And I think that what it has done um, has also allowed me to see art as a voice of change. When it comes to my second career, in the last few years, I started curating shows. It started off as with Jeannie Greenberg's Salon 94 Gallery. And I thought, oh, that's, you know, she asked me to curate a show and I did that. And uh, it was just seen, I saw it more as an assemblage of things, you know, where I mixed fashion, art, and, and great by great artists. But then Roberta Smith of the New York Times, the, the esteemed critic, came and gave it raving reviews, and it, you know, it turned into this big thing. And, and then Jeannie asked me to do it again. I did it, the same thing happened. 
And I sort of thought, okay, I'm not going to, to sort of play it down or try to be trivial about it. You know, I'm curating these shows and I have to give it the importance. So that is when I was approached by the Camden Arts Centre, the wonderful museum in London. And I did my first full-scale museum show. And the experience of that really allowed me to separate my work as a fashion designer and my work as a curator of contemporary art. Both have overlaps, you know. There is an appreciation for how things are layered that comes from you know, my work as a designer and my curatorial style is very much about that. And it's also about juxtaposing things that institutionally no one normally puts together, um, which in all my shows I would I would sort of hang close to each other, juxtapose. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a very interesting way of working for me because I have to separate them. But it's even more interesting because, for example, I just have a big show that's opened at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago called Durolo Singh Chicago. I created a show where I've pulled work just from Chicago, which I insisted upon, because they have the most amazing museums with collections and the most amazing private collections, which I just felt, I want you to see what you have. And it was incredible because I have like almost 400 works of art in that show from Matisse to David Hammonds, Terry James Marshall, Lynette Yadom, Cindy Sherman, you know, um, everyone and Man Ray. And it's incredible because at the, at the dinner for the opening, it was a very, very big dinner. And I looked down at the room when I had to just say a few words and there were all these women who were all wearing my clothes and that was a bit of a shock for me but it made me understand also the power of continuing an aesthetic into whatever path you also uh, take on as as a creative uh, uh, endeavor so my curation somehow my curation of contemporary art somehow speaks to the people that understand the clothes I make in that way I see the connection I mean, this is not new to you, is it? You, you've dabbled in curation for the last eight years, I think. And before the virus took over, yes. you'd been chosen yes. as a member of the jury for the UK's Turner Prize, which is quite a thing to be asked to do that. Yes. Um, I understand that because of um, the um, COVID-19, this year's judgment will be a virtual meeting. Uh, can you envisage using the virtual world for your own brand? You know, it's just not me. <laughs> it's just not me. I mean, I'm being super honest and I'm lucky, you know, Susie, when people say, oh my God, it must be so hard to own your business or, or you know, fully own your business and to have continued like that. You know, what it gives you is that great thing, the ability to say, mm, thanks so much, but no thanks. I will try, I mean, I'm not against the, the virtual world and I'm not, I, I see what very, I think it brings out a certain amount of innovation particularly with the younger designers. and But, you know, nothing replaces touch and nothing replaces face-to-face. -face. And I think that the virtual world can never replace the ability to see things close up, even, you know, as they were before, where everyone logs on to Vogue.com or all the magazine sites the next day or a few hours after you've shown a collection, because there's an impact of of that that, you know, is somewhat equated with the real thing, but people still know it's not the real thing. And with virtual, the new virtual path that a lot of fashion designers are taking and fashion houses, I think that one thing that a lot of it can lack is that sort of personal, 
individual individual sort of um, warmth that you know great uh, creative collaborators can give you but you know you really have to strive for that I think it's great I just think it's not so straightforward and it doesn't replace things it's just a temporary way of commerce you know and good luck to to those who will follow that path because I think it's very viable it just needs to be super creative and um, some people say Dora that your work is political and that your yes. fall 2019 collection, I think I'm right there, was inspired by uh, Miriam Maccabee, the South African yes. singer and civil rights activist. Yes. Um, there's a lot going on in the world right yes. now. Our circumstances across the globe are changing yes. and evolving. What is it that is currently going through your yes. mind? Well, I mean, the obvious chorus thoughts is, you know, what's happening in the world in America with the killings of George Floyd and Richard Brooks, you know, the tragic sort of continuation of, you know, this this police violence, etc. And I'll just say one thing, you know, I've been approached so much over the last two weeks to comment on certain forms of racism or or in, in the fashion world. And I always say, you know, I'm sorry, I find that insulting. Racism has many forms. What's happened and what is happening in America is specific. It's about the killings of these two men, you know, in the most unlawful way, you know, you know, spurred on spurred by racism. And it's very distinct from being not getting a job in fashion or not. That's a different problem, you know. But this, what has happened in America and what is being expressed all over the world vis-a-vis outrage at that has, is very separate from any kind of exclusion in the fashion world and in other professional world. To me, it's the extreme. It's, there's nothing as tragic as the killings or somebody being lynched or killed, which has gone on for decades, you know. And this coming to the public's attention because of these tragic events is important because, you know, if it wasn't because of COVID, there'd be so much else going on in the world that would make this sort of news quellable. It, this hasn't happened, and it's for a reason. Because I think, as a man of colour and as a man who thinks globally and internationally and believes strongly in the power of protest and the power of the people, as it were, I really do always have a certain element of that in my collection. So whether it's Miriam McCaber's work as a civil rights activist, performer, using her position in the entertainment world and in the public eye to speak out against the oppression in her country, whether it's Nina Simone speaking up against things now, then, that are still going on now in America. You know, whether it's Linton Kwesi Johnson in England in the 70s and 80s talking about violence and brutality, you know, when you when I look at those people, I try to get more than just the rhetoric and understand what kept them going every day and what made them able to present them themselves in in public in a way that they felt comfortable and strong in to do their good work. And that's what inspires some of the collection, the closing in, in in the collection. But I think you know it's a very sad time, but it's a very interesting time because when you look at the protests going all over the world, it is people from different creeds, different races, different genders, different countries, all coming together to say enough, you know? And that's quite wonderful because there's so much separation in the world, conscious separation by politicians and other, you know, despots. It's nice to see that people do really care about certain things. I must say that what you say is very moving. I noticed that there was nothing in your Instagram except the joy and delight of all the beautiful things that we see. 
how do you manage to separate your thoughts, your deep thoughts about your own position, about what's going on in the world and what you are doing for work? After all, you're very busy at the moment. You've got your store, your customers, your family in um, New York and Lagos, of course, your family. And um, we're also going to see a new book out. I believe it's already published, isn't it? Um, Dora and Uwu Seeing. Um, Tell me a bit about that. What I try to do with my Instagram account is really... I don't feel that I'm teaching people things. I don't want to put pictures of myself on it or my family, etc. It's really an opportunity to show people what's going on in my head that I think they'll be interested in. And how wonderful it is to see things and other things and not just feel constrained by, you know, whether you're a 12-year-old who wants to wear a red shirt but all your friends are wearing grey shirts, you know, whether you're an artist who wants to be an abstract artist but everybody is a video installation artist, just to give people the power to see other things and feel confident taking, bringing them into their lives. And with the recent protests with George Floyd's uh, murder and Rashad Brooks, I did post certain things, a few, one or two posts in protest when we had the Blackout Tuesday, and also I posted the images. But that was it. And as I've said, you know, to you before, I keep my my true feelings, which are very emotional and very upset, you know, for for platforms where I can really explain how how incredibly tragic what went on what happened was, and also reach an audience that is, not trivialize it. You know, this is not a joke. This is not about a t-shirt. So my Instagram does have quite political leanings, but with the things I put on it, you know, I wake up in the morning, Susie, and I I, I think of a painting or a book. I always think of the first things I think about usually end up on my Instagram. And, you know, I think that's what it's used, it should be used for, not to boast or to to show off. I think it should be used to express a certain um, creative and cosmopolitan appreciation of life, love and beautiful things. And I really, you know, I never did anything before. I was a complete technophobe, no Facebook, no nothing. I don't do any of those things. And and Thelma said to me, my wife said to me, you know, you should do this because Duro, when you tell me all the things that are going through your head, you know, I see a book or I see it on Instagram. And that's why I started. So the new book, um, which was published uh, to, in conjunction with my exhibition at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago, is called Duro Lo Seeing. And it has elements of my creative process. It has elements of you know, many elements of the show, all the work in the show. And it has interview an interview between me, Thelma and I uh, about the process. It has poems and stories by the artist Lynette Yadombrake. Naomi Beckwith edited the book and wrote a, a, a beautiful piece for it, Echo Eshun. And um, Valerie Steele of FIT wrote about my, my work in fashion. So it's a, I hope it's a book that, you know, allows people to come into my world, but also just to come into a world that is sometimes intimidating to many people, the art world, as well as the fashion world. I would say, Dora, that your world is a joy and a delight and very beautiful. <laughs> and I don't feel intimidated at all by that. Oh, thank you so much. Susie, it's very interesting because, I mean, you and I, um, the, the, when you come into the Mason's Yard Boutique, we talk about so much. And that is not about fashion. We talk about the world, but we also talk about things that interest us. And it's very 
satisfying to have someone in the fashion world that can talk about all these other things and feel comfortable expressing these things to you. And I feel that that is what I cherish about the way I, I work and the way I surround myself with people in my industry that I respect and admire. So I feel very lucky to do what I do. How very nice of you. And um, it's always a joy to talk to you because we talk about so many other things that are nothing really to do with fashion. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Susie. Thank you so, so much. Duro Aluwu, your imagination and breadth of knowledge from fashion design to art exhibitions is quite breathtaking. Perhaps the most striking part is the way you can create clothes with patterns that embrace a visual world in your native Lagos or in your chosen homes in New York and London. But I think the impression you have given us is of a Renaissance man, able to express yourself artistically through your fashion creations or through selecting art for museum exhibitions. Your physical stretch across America with your wife's museum work in New York and your own exhibition in Chicago make you a designer with global reach. If you have enjoyed the podcast, then please do rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, YouTube and many others. Creative Conversations with Susie Menkes is produced by Natasha Cowan and edited by Tim Thornton. Music by Jörg Zuber, graphics by Paul Wallace and production assistance by Lauren Sweeting. If you would like to find my articles, visit the fashion channel of vogue.co.uk and at Susie Menkes Vogue on Instagram. <laughs>